Vince and I have had an amazing relationship for many years. Many, many years. And it all began with WrestleMania number four in Atlantic City. Ladies and gentlemen, the President-elect of the United States, Donald John Trump. Welcome to Trump Mania. This is episode and week number six of the show. I am your co-host, JP John Paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling. And of course, the other co-host, the man of the hour. He is too sweet to be sour. He is Mr. Lobby Margolin. Lobby, how are you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing very, very good. And I was somewhat surprised to see this come out so soon but you're saying maybe it's not so soon but the new trump mania book this special 2020 election edition tell us all about this awesome quote-unquote new book but it's almost like a revised book Sure. So leading up to the election, just like we're doing on the podcast, um, it was really important to get it out there. The 2020 election special edition of Trump Mania, Vince McMahon, WWE, and the Making of America's 45th President. This is the book that I always wanted to write um, after I wrote the first Trump Mania. Um, Whenever you undertake a research project, as time goes on, things change, but you also become better at research and understanding things and connecting things. So it was a, the book is 50% bigger, about 65% changed. I'm not going to say Trump mania, but on steroids, although that would be a good tagline. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, it's a lot of fun pieces that weren't explored in the first one, um, like Linda McMahon's first two campaigns and um, how her uh, campaign team actually tried to pay people not to vote for her, but to register as voters. Um, we look at things like um, Nancy Pelosi giving Queen Victoria a headlock. So a lot of fun stuff. Look at uh, Jesse Ventura's mayor. So a lot of things that we're exploring in this podcast that were new for the book. But um, if you want to dive even deeper, um, check out the book on Amazon. Awesome. Like you always say, all roads lead to Amazon. So that is the new Trump Mania book, Election Edition 2020. So as far as this episode, episode number six, it's all about WrestleMania 23. The battle of the billionaires is here. Either Vince McMahon or Donald J. Trump would lose his hair. And it was no joke, even though, oddly enough, and you mentioned this, it is actually on April's Fool's Day that this happened. Plus, Vince McMahon, will he be on The Apprentice? All on today's show. But Lobby, kind of before we get into WrestleMania 23 and the Battle of Billionaires and the hair versus hair, give us some timely news, maybe even about Linda. So um, something that really stood out to me as we're taping this week was Linda tweeted something that should have ended in we the people um uh, you know <laughs> similar to your to your colleague the dirty one dutch mantel yeah. um linda mcmahon tweet 
tweeted, Constitution Day, 4,000 words, fundamental principles, limited government, republicanism, checks and balances, federalism, separation of powers, popular sovereignty. I'm not going to claim that I understood all of that, but it just seemed like you should yell, we the people, at the end of that. I totally agree. We the people. I love it. So as far as you know, getting back to um, WrestleMania 23, WrestleMania is on April Fool's Day. Is it a joke or is this for real? I mean, that's kind of a weird uh, booking. Right. So sometimes it just works out that day. I'd imagine in um, live events department, uh, almost unfortunately, the belated live events department, um, many uh, employees were, were let go. And uh, from what I understood from my extended network, a lot of good people, I'm, I'm sure. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of them today, if you're listening. But uh, back in the day, you know, when you're scheduling events, sometimes these things pass you by, right? Uh, you don't even think about it. Oh, here's an opening. Here's the venue. This is when we want to do it. Pay-per-view schedule's available. Let's do it on April 1st. So uh, ended up being April Fool's Day. The challenge was when you have a stipulation that's somewhat unbelievable, someone will lose their hair, especially um, a Donald Trump, um, can this really be happening? Or when you buy the pay-per-view, are they going to say it's a joke? So WWE PR had to get ahead of it and say, no, someone will lose their hair. If you spend your money, you'll see somebody shaved. That is the thing that I remember thinking. I was like, oh, it's going to be some sort of swerve. Like, you know, Vince doesn't want to get his head shaved. You know, Trump's not shaving his head. What's going to happen here? So that is kind of an interesting little wrinkle. And the PR department was ahead of it, which is good by them because, man, it's like kind of a weird uh, stipulation in wrestling. You don't want to get swerved because that'll end up killing the, the actual show. So as far as history of hair matches in wrestling, this wouldn't be the first and it sure won't be the last. So, you know, give us some uh, brief little history lesson on hair versus hair matches in professional wrestling. Sure. Um, where one would think about hair versus hair mostly would be in the Mexican Lucha Libre tradition, where there are major stipulations on the line, sort of like as the blow off the culmination to big match. Um, mostly Lucha Libre stars uh, begin by wearing masks. So if you were to have lost a mask match, but still remain a, a top star, the next thing you could put on the line is your hair. And, um, you know, it's very important that they hold up to that stipulation and someone could make extra money that way. In the American tradition, from what I understand, Vince McMahon um, wasn't such a big fan of hair matches. He kind of saw that as a, a Southern-style tradition, although once in a while um, hair had been on the line, um, but not in a marquee match. The hair match, and let me know if you've seen this, that fascinated me the most was um, when Jerry Lawler faced Austin Idol in a cage Um with uh, Tommy Rich interfering, and I think Paul Heyman at ringside, and Lawler, you know, he the the good guy, he, uh, you know, he got swerved out of his his win, and um, he had to have his hair shaved, and the fans wouldn't let the bad guys leave the ring. They were like circling the ring, trying to climb the cage. To me, that's the best type of wrestling. You know, people are super passionate about it. So epic and so awesome. And if you go back into the two-man power trip archives, we interview Austin Idol. We actually interviewed him a few times, but uh, I think it was the first time we had him on. We talked about that because it's a quote-unquote blow-off match, right? And, and this is the stipulation, and the head's going to get shaved, so you think the bad guy is going to lose. And technically speaking, I know Lawler ends up coming back a few months later and kind of gets his win back, but it was really kind of the blow-off, and the bad guy won. You never really rarely see that. Austin Idol wins the blow-off match, and the crowd goes nuts. So it was one of those things where it's like, Wow, a blow-off cage match, hair versus hair, and that good guy, the babyface, lost. 
Yeah, it was sort of one of those things like at WrestleMania, the bad guy never won um, for years until he won. So something, sometimes you have to throw something out there unexpected. Just one more quick thing about, you know, nerding out for Memphis wrestling. One of my favorite stories is um, one of the longtime rivals and mainstays of Memphis was uh, superstar Bill Dundee. And um, not only did he lose a hair match, but somehow they convinced his wife uh, to have her hair on the line and she lost uh, her hair as well. So not a good, uh, not a good weekend in the Dundee family, but maybe they made some good money from it. Yes, epic, epic stuff. Craziness going down in Memphis. And uh, just throw a little, a little nugget. 1987 feud of the year was Jerry Lawler versus Austin Idol slash Tommy Rich. So if anybody's a you know big wrestling fan, I would definitely go out of your way to seek some uh, footage of that feud. But back to the story at hand, which is obviously WrestleMania 23. So you know, they, obviously, you know, there's so many rumors and names like, okay, who's going to represent Vince? Who's going to represent Trump? We know representing Vince would end up being Umaga, and we know Trump would get Bobby Lashley. So. What are some other names that were thrown out there? Because there was a ton of rumors of like, who is it going to be, you know? Right. So, you know, as we talked about last time a little bit, you know, it wasn't obvious that it was sort of like Lashley and Umaga didn't really present themselves, right? Like they don't directly connect themselves to the characters. Like if right. Ted DiBiase was, was still wrestling and with the company at the time, you might say he'd represent one of them. But, uh, um, and um if Trump was, you know, playing up patriotism at the time, maybe you would have like a Hulk Hogan or Kurt Angle type. Um, but just, there was just stars that were floating around that, you know, their names were thrown out. So many different names, like a Booker T, Hulk Hogan, Rey Mysterio, Shane McMahon, until they finally settled on these two. So the trash talk is just one of those funny things because, you know, Vince is a great talker. You know, Trump's a great talker. Give me, you know, maybe some great quotes from i guess from really from vince who i think might have been the funnier of the two as far as this uh trump vince rivalry right so um one of the good lines by vince was uh someone marries a hot chick trump gets divorced and marries a hotter one and i can't <laughs> imagine trump uh minding a, a quote like that there was um rumors in the 1980s that he acted as his own pr person he cred up create a pseudonym and he would call like the new york post and plan stories some of which were negative but he liked when people were talking about him i feel like that is almost like a great line and it's so funny but i feel like trump would love it like, he probably was like that's great uh, and it's true you know something to that effect <laughs> right exactly so in their final in-ring confrontation before the big match mcmahon and trump began referencing ups- unsubstantiated poll results to prove the support of both corners for the match so how like what's going on here is this just a funny little um little dig at each guy or you know maybe just a funny little creative tool that they were using right it's a funny aside sort of like when you think about business people that you might do like audience surveys or polling and uh, especially years later in retrospect um the suspectness of polls whereas trump was expected to lose handily and then ended up winning was called into question so mcmahon claimed here you are a showbiz mogul and 95 percent of celebrities want to see you shave your head Trump said, 95% of Hollywood celebrities want your head shaved. And Vince replied, 95% of this audience are idiots. So what you need here 
is a big name to throw in. Not that Umaga and Lashley aren't, you know, bigger names, but they're not that big marquee main event names. Obviously, you know, you got Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker and those guys and Sean Cena and Batista, they're all involved in like the main event and different storylines. So you need to inject some sort of big time star power to call it like it is, call it right to the middle. So they bring in Stone Cold Steve Austin as a special referee. What was the uh, idea behind this? They needed more star power for the match? Yeah, sometimes, you know, you're you're a little bit concerned about these two guys on the rise. Can they really carry things? But if you put in your, your biggest star of the last um, decade or two, at least since Hulk Hogan are equal to The Rock, you know, you really get things going. Although, in my opinion, I think it was a detriment. Um, you know, just like when you are interviewing a wrestler, you don't have someone taller than him or her interviewing the person because they don't look larger than life. Here you have such a big star that, um, you know, it, it takes away from the match. So the final press conference would be held where? In Trump Tower, or as uh, as Trump might say, tr- my Trump Towers are, are bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just one Trump Tower. So kind of go on about what's going on during this press conference and how Trump is kind of explaining his relationship with Vince McMahon. Right. So there's this balance there of, of kayfabe, right? Trying to keep up the rivalry, but also showing that, um, uh, you know, that sort of like, how did this relationship develop? People are curious about it. Um, so talking about their friendship as well. So um, some of the interesting points, you know, in retrospect, um, is sort of the the puffery of it all, talking about how his uh, Trump's appearance in Portland drew 30,000 fans in an NBA arena that you know, when the court is down, can only hold 20,000 and that WrestleMania would hold more than 100,000 fans when it was only set up for 78,000. So another kind of interesting thing is because Austin got so popular with those what chants, they're also extremely, extremely annoying too, right? Right. I That was one of the things that um, for all Austin gave to the business, I think it's finally died down. But, um, you know, not counting no fans in the arena, but even when people were there, that um, everyone enjoyed the idea of saying what when somebody was trying to talk to you. So um, McMahon wasn't able to promote as well because everyone just kept yelling what. It is kind of the downfall, you know, a little uh, annoying. Um, But Trump does have a nice little slap to the face. Uh, events to kind of put an exclamation point on things yes so um mcmahon uh extended his hand for a uh handshake and trump took the bait and he's ready to shake mcmahon's hand but mcmahon pulled back and sort of like made that motion that he's combing his hair um and he started uh feeling Trump's quality of a suit and swatting his tie around. So uh, Trump said something that, you know, he couldn't tell what it was. And then he slapped McMahon in the face. <laughs> Great buildup though. That's uh, you know very memorable moment for sure in, in the buildup and mainstream media caught on onto it. Oh yeah. Like, um, you know, when, when you, it, it, it's like one of those moments and we'll talk about in a second, how Keith Schiller, Trump's um, security guard leader, white house security aide, sort of might've been taken up in the moment, but sort of putting somebody that's not used to being in a physical environment, that's really high profile um, and making it physical. That's sort of like the WWE's bread and butter for getting mainstream attention. So Keith Schiller, who is he and what, like, what was he doing? 
Right. So he's, you know, he's one of those people that um, uh, has followed Trump for many years, sort of one of the people that he trusts as his bodyguard and um, later in the White House before leaving. Um, So he wasn't maybe, you know, it seemed very real the way that he pushed McMahon back. It really seemed like McMahon could get hurt. So maybe he did know, but something just wasn't right. So as soon as they started like pawing at each other and slapping, um, Schiller like really uh, grabbed Trump. I grabbed McMahon and it looked very real. So it's one of those things where he's not clued in at all, right? That's what it felt like. And probably that would be the best way to deliver that, not to tell him and see what happens. Now, another kind of funny thing, and I always still to this day, I always joke around with my friends because they remember it so vividly. He always was calling him. And a few times this happened. I remember uh, Don Imus was one of the time, but he's called him Bobby Lindsay instead of Bobby Lashley. That would be Donald Trump. Right. Um, by the time he got to WrestleMania, he was just saying, come on, Bobby, come on, Bobby. Yeah. And other interviews, he had learned to like avoid saying anyone's name. But for the most part, he was saying Lindsay and Lizzie. Um, and then, you know, at times uh, he was just identifying him as a black gentleman and the strongest man I've ever seen. You know, the funny thing about that is he knows all the old school guys so well, but he doesn't know the new, like at this point, the newer school guys. Right. It's like one of those people that like you just sort of imagine uh, the business stayed the way that it was like it doesn't really happen in basketball that somebody that stopped watching in like the 70s would be like, how's Dr. J doing? But like people that watch pro wrestling, they're like, is Hulk Hogan still there? Is he the champion? (laughs) You know, you imagine that times still maybe it's like in the movies, you know, if you're a Sly Stallone fan, you know, he, he still headlining some some movies. Yeah, true. So he's actually Donald Trump is who I'm referring to. He's shown backstage with Stephanie at one point, right? Right. So this was a classic McMahon joke. So um, playing off reality. So Stephanie had her first daughter at the time, Aurora Rose Levesque. Um, She was born in 2006. Um, So, you know, I don't know if she was really inside there or not, but um, the, the, it was like a one note joke where Trump was there. And then Stephanie said there was a funny smell and the baby must have taken a Trump. <laughs> that is very typical McMahon humor. Uh, that is uh, for sure. So the WrestleMania match has finally arrived. Umaga versus Bobby Lashley. So Trump makes his way to the ring for the love of money. The theme song of the celebrity apprentice money, 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 money as the money would drop from the ceiling. Trump removes his overcoat and he preparing for action kind of set the stage a little bit here for this uh, big time match. Yeah. Like it was really celebrity apprentice uh, was really of the moment at the time, like we talked about. And um, Trump was always worried about people not cheering him. So he always wanted money drop from the ceiling because he figured if, if money drops, then, then people will be happy. So maybe he should try that now. Yeah. It might be <laughs> a good way to beat Joey Biden. That's uh, for sure. <laughs> Now, McMahon also does, you know, typical kind of funny heel stuff, right? He's mime, he's going to, you know, pull off his hair and, you know, he's making all sorts of assertions at him that he's going to be bald by the end of the night. Right. Um, You know, McMahon knows the old wrestling advice play to the worst seat in that crowd, you know, and certainly with television, you know, come across the screen. So he's really um, hamming it up by by pulling on his hair and showing Trump what he's going to do to him. And during the match, Trump is goading McMahon a lot at ringside, you know, showing a little bit of his uh, pro wrestling acumen, I guess you could say, right? He's goading him and saying, come on, Vince, come on, you want some? 
Yeah, and and like I said, he's he he knows the name of his charge. Come on, Bobby. Come on, Bobby. Shake it off, Bobby. Now Jerry Lawler has got some kind of funny comments too, right? As this uh, match is going on. So um, to to Lawler, um, what was interesting is Lawler is known for like having one of the best punches in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't really hurt, but it looks like a million bucks. So in something that's been disputed by a by a producer that was there, um, Armando Alejandro Estrada claims that he was um, the person to uh, be the sort of the practice dummy, mm-hmm. unfortunately, for, for Trump, that, um, uh, you know, they were trying to figure out how he would hit McMahon. So should he punch him on the side of the neck or the head? Um, but whatever happened, Trump went out there and he was really like trying to um, hammer nails into a wall. And he's, uh, he said that it looked like McMahon had um, hit the ground so hard and was being punched so hard that he had been knocked out for a week. It. It is definitely an art, and it's funny, like, you know, it could look good like Lawler or, you know, many other guys that throw a great punch, but it doesn't hurt. Or, or you know, it's, it's just, like, lightly making contact, but it looks like it's killing the guy. Obviously, Trump did not practice because, you know, he's doing the, uh, you know, stiffing the guy rather than it just looking good. Right. And, um, you know, t- I think Trump, um, it seems like he's always concerned about looking his best. So he's probably willing to uh, to sacrifice um, the pain of his uh, on-screen opponent for, for looking the best that he can. And Lawler and Ross are, you know, funny during the match. Do I see the, you know, sweat on the brow of Donald Trump? That's the billionaire's perspiration. He probably pays people to wipe his brow. I mean, like, they're just kind of making funny remarks, but really, you know, kind of putting him over in the same aspect, but also joking around. Sure. To reinforce the brand sort of beyond the nose of like, who is this Trump character? He's a billionaire. He has people doing everything for him. Let's keep reinforcing that. So kind of go over what's going on during the course of the match. You know, Lashley obviously is going to dive to the outside of the ring near the uh, barbershop setup and kind of, you know, lead us on in, into what's going to happen next. Sure. So, um, you know, you have to, you know, with um, with a match of this magnitude, um, you have to sort of like take out, put out all the gimmicks there. So um, Vince and Linda's son, Shane, had his turn in the spotlight as well. He came to the ring throwing punches at Lashley. Um, he propped a trash can on a dazed Lashley in the corner. And then he did something uh, which is called the uh, the Van Terminator, I believe. Um, so um, Rob Van Dam, who was a... Uh, really popular wrestler coming from ECW. He had great um, uh, flexibility and um, very uh, acrobatic. So he could sort of run from one side of the ring to another and like crash through somebody. It looked amazing. So Shane, um, not being a full-time wrestler, he could take risks like this and, um, uh, you know, look great doing it. Um, And he had some athletic ability. So that really, you know, move like that really, um, is of interest for people to see. But once he did the move, then he removed his shirt and revealed a referee shirt. Um, But then Austin (laughs) recovered from getting knocked down and took out Shane. So it was like the slapstick back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yes, for for sure. Now, uh, Jim Ross was also, you know, kind of say, what is going on here? Trump is in a world he can't understand. This isn't real estate. Is he just taking like his own shots? Is this like directed to kind of say stuff like that? Or you think he's just kind of you know rolling with the punches of the match? 
I think he, he's flowing with it, but it's kind of something fun in retrospect. So Trump says, what's going on here? You know, with all the craziness and um, saying he's in a world he can't understand, but we could see Trump can adapt fairly well, um, depending on your perspective, to different worlds and, and finding success in his own way. Trump does a nice little uh, tackle, right? And, and uh, basically Lashley's going to get the win eventually. Over Umaga, right? I mean, uh, Trump is showing some uh, physical assertion in this match for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think he can he can give it. Um, he'll have to take something, uh, which we'll get into a moment. But mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, to attack people without retribution is is the easy part. But um, but he gets credit for something in a moment. The hostile takeover of Donald Trump on Vince McMahon has happened at WrestleMania. Trump has laid his hands on McMahon, is what Lawler and Ross are saying. Great lines right there. I mean, kind of really just sending it home that Donald J. Trump has defeated Vince McMahon in this match. Right. Um, yeah, it's sort of like everything where it was building to the, the logical conclusion. And uh, if you bought the pay-per-view to see Donald Trump's hair shaved, you were disappointed. Now, usually at the end of the match, the guy, the winner of the match, Lashley gets his hand raised, but Austin not only raises Lashley's hand, he raises Trump's hand as well. And McMahon is holding his hair, looking very nervously as he sees this going on. Trump is going to be waiting patiently in the corner as McMahon is brought back in the ring for some comeuppance. Trump watches over and gives Lashley the thumbs up. Is this, you know, just classic, hilarious McMahon here? Because he plays this villain so well. Yes, he knows he's he's got to, you know, get the heat. But he also plays like, uh, not the, I wouldn't say sympathetic, but also like the, the okay, this guy's about to get his ass kicked. He, it's just his mannerisms, the way he carries himself, the way he looks, his facial expressions. He really knows how to be a good heel all the way around. Yeah, it's just fun. It's sort of like... um can't be a, a cartoon villain who's so over the top that you can't not have fun watching him, you know, go through this now. So JR is going to prepare the fans for the forthcoming payoff of the match. So kind of um, go into a little bit, cause he's going to say, looks like we're going to have a bald billionaire. So kind of, you know, set the stage a little bit for <laughs> what's going to happen here with McMahon getting his head shaved. Right. So, you know, shaving somebody's head, you know, isn't that easy or quick. You know, it's not something like, um, you know, uh, you just do it in one second and you go on to the next thing. So you have to have some like transition points to move things along, to have uh, McMahon crying in the chair while they put the shaving cream on. Um just to to keep it entertaining, keep up the banter while you have to shave his head, which, you know, could take a little while. So he's going to have to get a stone cold stunner to kind of knock him out and put him in the chair. Yeah, so Trump really celebrated with that and and clapped, um, but he would be getting one of his own very soon. (laughs) So uh, before we get to that, Trump quickly grabs the electric razor and they start sitting, you know, McMahon in the chair, obviously, and he starts screaming almost, you know, as if he's being tortured or something. He's really not overacting, but, you know, he's acting like crazy here, kind of going crazy. He's going to get the, the barber shears and, you know, all the uh, all the, you know, the razor, the clipper, the shaving cream, everything with the, uh, the help of Lashley, of course. Um, bald-headed blues is playing over the stadium microphone. Kind of what's going on, you know, next here is this just like – one of the things that it's really going to be something that's going to be played forever mainstream. I mean, this is the part that's really going to kind of sell WrestleMania to the mainstream, right? 
Right. So you you have sort of uh you know the uh the penultimate moment of the show um and it was good you know I, i'm sure everyone was super careful but sometimes uh you know you hear about these matches that you know the hair isn't wet enough and they're trying to do it too quickly and somebody gets uh, nicked a little bit so it seemed like he uh walked away unscathed but one of the interesting points is that right it's a mcmahon show and still you know he has to be praised on on the air one of the most successful men in business mcmahon in his own creation has been humiliated great line great moment and of course you know upon the conclusion of the haircut Stone Cold Steve Austin, like we just mentioned, gives Donald Trump a surprise stunner. So it's just crazy that Austin stunned the Donald, right? Right. So, um, you know, one of the interesting points about it is that usually um, the person getting the beer, even before they get um, the stunner, um, they'll drink a little bit or make it look like they're drinking um, beforehand. But uh, Trump's brothers, as we talked about in an early episode, his brother Freddie died as a result of alcoholism at age 43. And just like um, Jerry Lawler, uh, Trump does not drink. Interesting. Now, this stunner was not practiced in advance. It looked not very good. Let's just say it that well. And the execution, is that on Trump? Is that on Steve Austin? Just bad chemistry between them? What happened here? So, you know, it was probably the worst looking one since Linda McMahon herself took one in 2005. Um, You know, I don't, uh, I mean... I think they could have practiced it a little bit in, in safe environments. So he was more aware of what was coming, but um, you know, it's a pretty dangerous move when you think about it. Although thankfully people don't seem to get hurt from it. Right. You, you bend your neck over your head over somebody about uh, 260 pounds grabs you and yanks it to the ground. A lot of bad things could happen. So for whatever it was for somebody that's pretty unathletic at this point in their lives, although Trump was an amateur wrestler and, um, you know, all that, but that was, you know, 60 years before. So I think they're lucky to get out of it the way that they did. Very true. Now, there was some tension over the weekend between uh, Trump and McMahon as well, right? Yes. So um, Trump's handlers were like, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to do that. And McMahon was like, no, it'll be great. Um, So, uh, Trump was finally convinced when um, he asked if it would like get a good reaction, and, and McMahon told him that it would really blow the roof off the place. So he said, "Okay, I'll do it." Now Austin does give props to Trump for taking the move, right? I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you know, not really expected of him to do it, and he volunteered to do it. Right. Yeah. So everyone you know involved, including Jim Ross, gives him credit for it, even though you know everyone admits that it looked terrible. Now, during the broadcast itself, Ross and Lawler consider the implications of the stunner. What if a lawsuit will be filed, right? They make a you know, funny joke. Right. So um, one of the things that uh, Trump certainly was known for, and if you look at McMahon, too, with uh, Jerry McDivitt, um, his, uh, his um, representation, that there's always a lot of lawsuits going back and forth. So what a lawsuit that will be. I bet that Trump's ex-wives will be doing cartwheels. It's better than alimony. That's a real hostile takeover. So they got in all the buzzwords <laughs> uh, in, in one sentence. Now... They were not quite ready to give up the spotlight yet right afterwards. Right? I mean, they're, they're still doing appearances and uh, you know, celebrity stuff and, and just regular marketing and promoting and branding, right? Right. So, again, remember that 
this all uh, seemingly came together as a result of the NBC uh, Universal Family. So one of the benefits of that is that Trump and McMahon could go on NBC's Today Show the next day. And uh, I found some good photos that host Ann Curry was photographed rubbing McMahon's bald head outside the studio. So he got it freshly shaved, as, as you see on that night's program, uh, while Trump looked on beaming. Another photo showed Matt Lauer and uh, Campbell Brown listening intently to McMahon while Trump watched. McMahon and Trump were photographed amicably talking together, putting aside their on-screen rivalry publicly. So um, again, it was sort of like that interplay of like, is this done now or maybe we'll continue to feud? So you sort of like have that back and forth. Now they're teasing like friction still. Trump says it's over. McMahon says it's not. So it's kind of funny. It's like, will there be a future rematch? Right. You know, it, it was pretty clear even, you know, the next day that this was really successful and got a lot of attention. So um, McMahon was, was very much open to that at the time. So behind the scenes, is there with McMahon and Trump, is there going to be a rematch? Is that ever rumored for the next pay-per-view? Right. So it is. So uh, apparently McMahon proposed that Trump participate in the following month's pay-per-view, but Trump declined. He sort of feels that um, something that you try and do a second time doesn't go as well. Um, also, the, the pay-per-view after WrestleMania is always not a letdown because you know sort of where it's heading. It's sort of like a new season is beginning. So there's, you know, pretty much no way it could be as big as WrestleMania. And if you're going out on a high and part of it is you're doing it for the publicity and the attention, you know, you don't want to come back for something lower profile. Is that also have to do with financially? Is it going to be tough to get Trump twice in a row? Right. Good point. So, uh, you know, for all the millions he was guaranteed for WrestleMania, it wouldn't make sense to guarantee him that huge amount. I'm sure they could give him something over and above what somebody would normally get um, for a main event for a, um, a lesser pay-per-view, but it might not have been that appealing to him. So kind of go over if WrestleMania 23 is a financial success or not. Right. So it was a complete sellout. Um the whole show earned $31.4 million in revenue and $9.7 million in pre-tax profits. Um, the show was ordered by a record at the time of $1.25 million worldwide. 825000 were in North America. Um, the uh, Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer called the feud um, in 2009 as the most successful short-term rivalry ever done in wrestling. Um, McMahon said in retrospect that shaving his head was the right thing to do. He felt that the public probably thought he was going to be the one to get his head shaved, but it was that doubt which helped to sell the event. I love it. So Trump is a huge draw, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Ratings were up huge. The sellout, I mean, WrestleMania usually sells out, but this is, was like a quick sellout. Uh, he got mainstream attention for it. The, the buy rate was up. I mean, he all around, he can pretty much pat himself on the back, Barry Horowitz style, right? Right. It was huge with a Y. <laughs> huge. So if you think about it, I could see why Vince would want to do something else, but maybe financially, they, maybe they wouldn't be able to do it. But if it's such a success and they're making so much money with it, it's like, wow, I, I almost want to, like, you know, like Hulk Andre, like we got to do 
uh, survivor series. We got these types of, you know what I mean? Is they just, you just keep wanting to, to use Trump and, and use his mainstream power and use his rating getting and his buy rate ability to, you know, keep drawing for them. Right. And, um, you know, they, they've somewhat done that in the past, let's say, for example, with a Mr. T. So, you know, it was a key opportunity at WrestleMania 1 and then WrestleMania 2, you know, the boxing match with Roddy Piper, that wasn't as big a deal, but it sort of worked out well. But sort of if you keep these things going too long, albeit with another company, when Mr. T went to WCW in 1995, it just wasn't um, thought of as fondly. So you sort of have to have the right timing, especially an outside celebrity. If they become too much of a um, of a commodity to the company, it's just not as special sometimes. Yep, for for sure. Now the thing about this event, which is interesting, so the the rumor was that Batista and Undertaker, because Undertaker winning the Royal Rumble, like that was going to be the main event. That's not the main event. Trump and McMahon are obviously front and center on everything, and they're being promoted as the actually Battle of Billionaires more than anything. And like that's technically not the main event. So Cena versus Shawn Michaels is the main event. But the big selling point was Trump versus McMahon. Was there any thought of putting them on last? Um, so I'm not sure in terms of the timing. I think usually what happens with uh, a WrestleMania is that you kind of want to think about sort of like who will put on the best match athletically, as I, even though there was a lot of um, showmanship to kind of figure out the positioning because you want people to have the best taste in their mouth, but sometimes it's the biggest story that, that you would conclude with. So to commemorate the match, you could purchase a lot of souvenirs featuring Trump. A WrestleMania 23 poster has them front and center on it. So it's like this, not the main event, but they're front and center on everything. Right. You know, something that would be most remembered, like put a star on a poster. So something that I just found humorous was um, a similar image is available on the ringside chair. You know, if you buy an expensive seat, um, one of the pluses sort of a cushioned chair where it has a um, a printed image of a poster of the main star. So the picture of Trump appears where one would place his or her posterior if they were to sit in the chair. So if you are supporting Biden, you know, it might be an enjoyable chair to sit on and, and watch the election results roll in. I just find it like funny sometimes where it's like, I don't know, like they sometimes, I know, you know, uh, Cena and Michaels had a great match and maybe even Batista Undertaker might have had a better match. That could have been the main event. But I always find it interesting, like certain matches get more publicity, but they're not the main event. WrestleMania 19 was Vince versus Hogan, not the main event. That, that was the most talked about thing with all the celebrities, uh, most talked about thing pretty much with everybody um, that got mainstream publicity, who made who. WrestleMania 18, Hogan Rock was the main event, but it was the most publicized. It was the front of the DVD cover, the front of the posters. So sometimes I think, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, or it could be a misstep. Some things probably end up should, should have been the main event and some things not. I just think sometimes it's like, wow, looking back, maybe if you're going to, promote the thing the most maybe it could have went on last especially with the austin stunner on trump i think part of it especially when you're involving somebody that's a part-timer or just um as a one-time thing is sort of thinking um you know a little bit ahead where who's going to be the ones on the uh the non-televised house show circuit who will be on um, the television show the next week where um you know even if it wasn't the match that was the hottest you can take this um performer and say you know you can lean on that oh you rest 
you main evented um, WrestleMania or you lost at WrestleMania and now you want the revenge rather than being middle of the card and sort of feeling that your main eventers were gone, even if they um, were the people that drew the, the interest. So the next night on Raw, which is traditionally, you know, the big wrap up of storylines, the big Raw after WrestleMania, as they call it, the 2007 edition is from Dayton, Ohio's Nutter Center, and they announced that the attendance of WrestleMania was over 80,000. Um, what was the like the real attendance? I always feel like that's a, a maybe a bit of a worked number, so to speak. Right. You know, it's one of those things that we've talked about since episode one, where no matter how good the numbers are, there's something about it that you have to keep, you know, increasing it. So the actual attendance was great. It's as many people as you could fit in, 74,687. One of the, the weird things also is that we did better than the Super Bowl, but in the same building. But as you could imagine, you know, you could get more people in for a wrestling show than a um, Super Bowl because the field is gigantic. Um, the paid attendance was sixty-eight thousand five hundred, with five million three hundred eight thousand dollars worth of tickets sold. This the event simply couldn't hold any more. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know about this show, but what's traditionally been said is that WWE uses some flexibility in counting the numbers by including talent, ticket takers, other event staff, you know, we could throw in the popcorn sellers, um, <laughs> which isn't usually employed by other live event acts when announcing numbers. Not said, of course, was that, you know, which I said, I'm going to say not said, but I said that football can only uh, fit so many people in, whereas wrestling, if you wanted, you could have more. But the staging has gotten more and more elaborate um, this COVID year excluded where they take up a number of seats. So um, the number, like a, a record-breaking number, is harder to achieve. So as far as kind of that inflation of numbers, I mean, that's not really Trump thing. I mean, that's a WWE thing. Um, yeah, I mean, case, in this case, right. Uh, yeah. So, um, when Trump talks about his participation in wrestling shows, he inflates the numbers as well. Um, I haven't seen him reference that hundred thousand number that he threw out at a later point, but like I talked about the, the arena in Portland and WrestleMania, sorry, when he talks about, um, Madison Square Garden and his induction to the Hall of Fame, he talks about 30,000 people or 25,000 people as well, which was an old number that, um, oh, I get to say it again, the WWWF <laughs> could use because um, if you sell out um, Madison Square Garden proper and then you have what had been known as the Felt Forum, which is sort of the adjacent theater where you can um, – screen things um, and you count them together, it comes out to about 25,000. So for years, a sellout at the garden was considered 25,000, but the actual um, seats in the garden proper is less than 20,000. So the show opens with a long running gag of McMahon being oh so bald. McMahons who didn't buy WrestleMania were able to get a brief glimpse when Bobby Lashley removes McMahon's hilarious fedora. <laughs> Right. I mean, um, McMahon really, I mean, he, he kind of goes over the top. I mean, he really gets into these characters like, you know, they're going to shave his head. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to make this absolutely somewhat cartoony and somewhat ridiculous, but hilarious in, in a sense as far as being a good heel. 
Right. So, you know, it's a good draw for the program, right? Even if you sell over a million pay-per-views um, at the time, I think, you know, it was four or five million was fairly common for people watching the program. You know, that's um, a lot of intrigue from people that haven't seen it. Um, old uh, WWE shows, and I think they still do it a little bit, is that for big shows that aired on pay-per-view or now air on the network, they don't show you the clips right away. They show you screen stills. So you kind of like, you're intrigued by what happened, but they're, they're giving you a little bit of hints. So to see McMahon bald was like a big payoff. And, you know, even if you watched a WrestleMania, he wasn't completely bald. So you got to see that. Yes. Now, as far as that, I mean, I just think of Vince and I always just think of like, what is he going to do? Remember, like, you know, wearing the do-rag or, you know, it just, I don't know. You never know with Vince just doing uh, hilarious stuff. But uh, unfortunately, a few months later, real tragedy strikes and McMahon, you know, has to wipe the the clates lean of a very very famous record from the wrestling books. You think McMahon has a, a hard problem with like when he has to do some negative stuff? I know being a funny heel is stuff, but when he has to do like the real kind of negative stuff and WB really almost looks like a, a heel uh, on certain aspects. It's a difficult question because you would think that seemingly that, you know, it would be upsetting to have to be involved in that, but sometimes he revels in that. Um, this is an especially, you know, heavy topic, which we could talk about, but, but sort of like when something a little bit lighter, um, let's say like steroid allegations, not, not to make light of that, like, or, um, or people criticizing the XFL, they'll, you know, say something like, quite frankly, you know, I don't appreciate <laughs> the way you're talking and sort of like become that Vince McMahon heel. Um, but, uh, but a company that's been involved in, you know, a fair amount of real life tragedies, um, you know, they're, they haven't been careful enough up to this point to avoid them, to really seem like they're trying to avoid them. In the last several years, things have been have been better. The kind of hilarious thing where kind of fact and fiction kind of need to be separated is a few months later after that WrestleMania McMahon participates in a very hilarious storyline. So funny when you go back and watch just the way he acts, the way he's walking backstage, looking at everybody, everybody's looking at him. It's very ominous, very weird. They have never really done something like this before or after. It's just so kind of odd, but interesting. There's no talking by the announcers, really. He's just like walking around, looking at people backstage and all getting kind of weird reactions, looking at him as he's walking ominously to his limousine and the limousine is going to blow up. Kind of, you know, take us through this because it was such an odd segment to close raw that, Few people, including Donald Trump, may have think, you know, or thought that McMahon's going to get blown up for real. Yeah, it was an odd segment, and sort of like looking back on it, I was sort of like, what were they thinking? What was the plan here? I wasn't watching week to week at the time, so I'm curious if there was something a little bit different about the shows at the time. But the closing segment of Raw played out where he was walking around backstage slowly while maintaining his, um, uh, you know, John Wayne saunter. Um, 
all of the wrestlers were standing in rows as he walked from one hallway to another. He was told by um, announcer Jonathan Coachman that he was going the wrong way. He turned around and walked down another hallway to look up at Pat Patterson before exiting the door himself while walking out the door. This was like weird. He saw two guys passing a joint between themselves and looked at them quizzically. Um, He continued walking slowly to his limousine and opened the door carefully. When he opened the door, the limousine exploded. (laughs) <laughs> the uh, just i don't know remembering that just so funny and so weird right i mean it's just like what the hell i know they were going for shock value and craziness and maybe to get Vince off tv for a while but uh trump you know he really thought that happened he calls up wb really thinks that vince got blown up i know there were several people that were some reason thinking it was real but i guess it was that well done by the wwe Yeah, I think sometimes the fact and the fiction sort of melds each other. I mean, if it had really happened to air, that footage would have been odd, but I guess the show must go on. So the story came out um, in in New York, at least there was shock jocks named Opie and Anthony, sort of like uh, at the time, a modern day sort of like Howard Stern type of experience. And, um, uh, you know, Paul Levesque, Triple H, had uh, recounted the story about how Trump had called and said, you know, is, is Vince okay? You know, so he really believed it. I just think it's so funny that you could be, you know, whoever you are, you know, billionaire, rich guy, you can almost get sucked into a storyline when wrestling is kind of done right or when they do something that that you never seen before you never heard of before like wrestling can kind of capture you whether you realize it or not and trump uh maybe he's a big mark or whatever but he definitely he got captured he was thinking that the, it was real for a second right those are the best type of storylines sort of like um people often say with like um territories that people didn't know that it was put on but they'd say these, you know, these matches are fake, but this guy is real, and and that's why I come for it. So if you can sort of cross that line or create a um, a series of doubts, that's when you can hook people. So a press release in June twelfth uh, entitled "Who Blew Up the WWE." WB, excuse me, Chairman McMahon speculated that a saboteur may be involved and that it may even be Trump himself, right? I mean, wasn't this suggested that it could be Trump had something to do with this as far as storyline wise? Yeah, it was kind of a, a little fun um, uh, write up of who could be the ones that blew up um, Vince McMahon. So you had not only Donald Trump, but maybe it was Snoop Dogg or Bob Costas. Or Steve Austin, mm-hmm. or they might have even in, thrown in Ted Turner uh, and uh, uh, Trump's, you know, nemesis Rosie O'Donnell. So I just love the fact that they're trying to get his name right. I mean, that's the whole point of not only saying those people, but I feel like by saying Trump, I feel like Vince is trying to get lightning in a bottle again. Am I wrong on that, or, or maybe thinking thinking too far into it? That's a good question. Um, I don't know how this was going to resolve itself because at some point, you know, McMahon would have returned to television. Maybe he could tag team with The Undertaker or something like that. You know, there's been uh, um, mythical characters before, um, but maybe it was hinting at, uh, at Trump coming in because he did come back later, certainly. So with really what's going on here, I mean, this is just a huge success all across the board and and you know they're probably trying to catch some lightning in a bottle really with the who blew up Vince McMahon storyline it did get some national attention it definitely got some wrestling fans attention or a lot of them 
and obviously you got Trump's attention as well. Really good stuff. But in an article supporting the storyline on WB's website, Trump was grouped with the you know the top media moguls who want who would want to hurt McMahon and hinder WB's growth. In addition, you know, like you mentioned, Trump, you know, they they name you know Ted Turner, Rosie O'Donnell, but what they kind of don't really say is that it's it's a work. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of talking about it could be this person, it could be that person. They're almost kind of really saying that this really happened that he got blown up right i mean they're almost not i mean i guess if you're a wrestling fan you you should be kind of ahead of that but i you know nowhere does it kind of say like guys this is a storyline sports entertainment they're really kind of saying that vince is dead yeah so i think and this will be something in terms of the way that they wrote press releases in those several years that comes back to bite them where there's confusion about trump eventually being the owner of raw and sort of having to back off of that so they sort of would put something out there and they didn't make it clear that it was in the context of a storyline i i haven't compared it to how like a um game of thrones or something at the time would would sort of reveal a, a tidbit sort of to hook the media um but whatever they were doing was was a little bit too confusing yeah i think that's just funny it's like okay you know we're, we know we keep talking about it, but it's like okay the top media moguls who would want to hurt vince but nowhere near and in any of that they're saying guys it's just a storyline they're like trying to make it out as if Vince is really dead and it's really happened. But when the, the Benoit tragedy strikes, that's where it's like, okay, what's real, what's storyline, what's fake. You know, you know what I mean? There's like a delineation here. It's like, all right, you were pretending the guy's dead. On the other hand, does this Benoit thing, is this real Is a storyline? Right. I mean, that could be a whole bunch of trouble. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's where, um, you know, real life hits, um, and you know, sort of everyone has their remembrance of the story if you were following closely or not. But Chris Benoit, um, you know, from from an outside perspective up to that point, um, it, wrestling fans who really loved the sport of wrestling and the intensity of wrestling, everyone loved Chris Benoit. He came up through the independent scene, through Japan, through ECW, through WCW. He even left WCW as champion due to his passion of being your fan and uh, being, you know, loving the sport and so on, and went to WWE. Um, and, um, you know, the story unfolded in, in a very odd way that um, uh, it was announced, you know, sort of they canceled the show that the next week, that Monday night, McMahon said, um, you know, that he's, you know, the storyline is being dropped and tonight is in uh, dedication to Chris Benoit. So they just showed his best matches. But what seems to be somewhat known at the time, which was odd, was that not only was, was Chris Benoit dead and uh, it was known that his wife at the time, Nancy, and his son, Daniel, were also dead, but that it was a, uh, a murder, um, double murder, suicide, um, uh, you know, that played out over a number of days. And then they struck Benoit from the record. They said, you'll never hear about him again. Um, if you look up, uh, I haven't done it in a while, but at the time, if you look up Chris Benoit on WWE Network, you won't find him in search results. You know, you, you might find some matches that he's in, but he's not a, uh, a searchable name. So interesting, like about that, you know, they they basically jumped and did a tribute show without knowing any of the particulars. And they find out the particulars and they have to pretend that that tribute show never happened and they pretend that he never happened. So really, for a while, I don't know if it's still that way, but on the network, you you go and you'd watch Raw or you go and watch Nitro and his stuff was cut out. And it was just like, 
I don't know. It's, it wasn't the same watching the shows. You can't kind of strike the guy from the history of what happened. You can pretend and, and kind of do it that way PR wise. But I don't know. To me, it came off like kind of like, man, guys, it, you're going a little too overboard. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the most interesting things that, you know, stepping several steps away from, from the tragedy, but in terms of the company perspective and and their ability to perform revisionist history as it's convenient, uh, just happened this year. So in 2020, WWE Network premiered a Ruthless Aggression documentary, a special centered on WWE in the 2010s. In it, we found this. In summer 2007, Vince McMahon abruptly canceled his storyline death, deciding that his newest initiatives just could not wait expanded wellness policy and ban on chair shots to the head wwe was the talk of the media for months thereafter hmm. interesting and of course you know with that storyline we never found out you know who who blew up the the limo who like who killed vince oh it's the same guy that was driving the hummer in wcw <laughs> <laughs> I just talked to uh, Kevin Sullivan about that a few weeks ago, and it's just so funny. It's like, well, who was it supposed to be? Should have been Sid Vicious, like the first thing that happened. It, it was set up perfectly, and they're like, nah, let's keep it going. So they never really had an answer of who they wanted it to be. And, of course, a year later, they have Bischoff, uh, the one that runs into Hogan in the Hummer, if you remember, on uh, on a Nitro in 2000, which doesn't make sense because Bischoff initially was the one that restarted the match for Nash, and Nash is the one who originally got hit by the Hummer. So it was so confusing. It literally makes no sense. Even talking about it now, I confuse myself. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you could take it that far is impressive. No wonder why <laughs> you're so good at your job. <laughs> but it's just one of those things, like, you keep thinking of all the little things, like, okay, this, 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 like, I hate when they have storylines that aren't finished. Like, I, I kind of understand the limo thing with Benoit, but I just hate, like, because I want to know where they were going, or even if they were going anywhere with it, because sometimes these wrestling storylines, they don't have an ending, they just have a beginning, which is like a big fatal flaw in writing. Yeah, so, you know, especially in that time period where you're running so fast and so hard that you're thinking about just, like, what's in front of you without thinking, where are we three months, six months down the line? Now, in 2010, Linda McMahon's political rival, Richard Blumenthal, would bring Benoit's father, what the hell, to Hartford to talk about his son during the campaign season. What in the world? Yeah, That's so, you know, insane. nothing is off limits in, in politics. And yeah. uh, from what I understand, um, I've had um, at least one other person um, contact me and let me know about how they were contacted by uh, Benoit's father. Um, so he kind of wanted to get um, sort of like get his say in the story of what happened. It's, it's, you know, very tragic, um, uh, you know, to, to raise, you know, you, you know, as a parent, right. Uh, you know, you raise a child and, and this is what happens to them. So you kind of want to look for someone to blame at least. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it was sort of like a, a marriage of convenience. You have Linda McMahon whose company had been involved in this and you have a rival so they can sort of punch back hard by taking someone like this that can talk negatively about the company. So Benoit, his brain, when they, they looked at it, it was the brain of an 82 year old, wasn't it? And when they, when they kind of dissected the brain, he had so much damage. Yeah, that that's what they say. I mean, you know, obviously not as a neurologist, but you right, know, right. in somebody that has parents that are older, like I would say, like maybe certain parts of their brain, because you wouldn't be like if if um, he did suffer from early dementia or something like that, mm -hmm. he wouldn't be as far as from what I've seen, um, just 
firsthand, you wouldn't be functional in, in other areas to to athletically um, compete at that level. So there was something wrong. I, I certainly um, imagine certain parts of the brain weren't firing correctly, but sort of why someone does what they do, you know, I don't know if anyone will, will ever know for sure. Yeah. Crazy. And just to think about it, it's like supposedly he had like 50 something concussions. He, uh, you know, obviously they found, you know, he was doing steroids for a long time. Who knows what else? I mean, it's one of those things where it's like all these things add up. It's like not good uh, for him mentally just to be physically and, and mentally and emotionally that beat up his best friend died. You know, it's like, man, he was, I guess he was just a complete train wreck. Yeah, um, thankfully, you know, in in that way, at least, at least in the mainstream wrestling, the business has come a long way where they are a lot more careful about things. People aren't Mm -hmm. sustaining, you know, obvious brain damage from getting uh, a chair hit on your head and, and that sort of thing. So this is kind of uh, just a great kind of full circle thing. In an episode filmed in late 2007, Vince McMahon finally had the opportunity to appear as a guest on Trump's Celebrity Apprentice. This is a great uh, full circle thing. I love this. Right. So um, I think we've talked about it before. So The Apprentice uh, had actually been planned that a different mogul would be in the chair each um, each season. You know, later on, they, they started um, doing that with, with different celebrities like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But Trump was so good in his role that they just kept him there. But um, you could see from this episode why Vince McMahon might not have been the most interesting fit. Sort of like when you take somebody out of their world, you know, it doesn't always go so well. So the episode was called A Night on Broadway. Each team was tasked with selling tickets to a Broadway show with the team who sold the most tickets winning. So given, you know, McMahon's business had for the most part been based on ticket sales, it seemed like a natural fit. But McMahon was sort of there. He was more low-key than usual. He observed both team setups in Times Square. He didn't cut a promo on anyone. He was just concerned about the mundane setup of the impresario team, as it did not seem to sell many tickets. In the end, the appearance was largely forgettable. Now, it's just funny that you know, like I do you a favor, you know, you, you come on WrestleMania, obviously you could pay for it. But right. Was that kind of the thing here? Like Trump gives him a favor. He gives Trump a favor, kind of the uh, vice versa kind of thing going on. Yeah. Why not? You know, how often does is somebody looking for McMahon to appear on their show without grilling them about his history of, um, you know, tragedies in the business or, um, you know, remaining in character. So it's a, a nice way to to get out there. So give your final thoughts on the battle of the billionaire and Trump's kind of appearance at WrestleMania 23. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Um, I think, yes, yeah, certainly at the time, you know, it was a thumbs up. It was one of those things that, you know, helped to make sort of for a newer generation, WrestleMania bigger um, than ever, where it's become the, generally uh, a multi-day event and a larger than life experience. Um, there's only so many times where you can lean back on something that happened years before people were born or became fans like Hogan slamming Andre. So you you need these moments um, similar to uh, when The Rock uh, fought Cena two years in a row um, uh, that wasn't too far removed um, from this that are sort of modern and, and remind you of why uh, 
WrestleMania is such a big moment. And it's also of its time, um, even though boxing in the UFC, um, I guess UFC less so as they sold rights to ESPN, but in, in big UFC matches and big boxing matches, you could still sell major pay-per-views. The WWE had moved more towards a network model. So there wasn't that drive to get out there to the public anymore to sell over a million pay-per-views. Um, and this is very much a product of its time. Next week on the show, we will talk all about Donald Trump becoming the owner of Raw and Linda McMahon running for a Senate. It's going to be pretty much uh, an awesome one as far as uh, I'm concerned. I, I love kind of when Trump does that because it sets some things in motion for WB and for Raw for kind of for years to come. But I love how they're using him again. Right? I mean, they they need him again. They They need his box office appeal. So they're going to bring him back. Yeah, it's quite fascinating how it sort of like burst and then it was gone. And Linda McMahon, two-time, two-time, two-time candidate for Senate. <laughs> I wanted you to say that perfectly. <laughs> I love it. So as far as some plugs, I'll give you mine on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can check out my website, tmptempire.com. And of course, Lavi, where are you at social media-wise? Sure. So best way to find me is on Twitter. Like I mentioned, I'm on there way too much. Um, so L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Um, if you want to check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. Um, and uh, we'll connect on there. Awesome. Another a great week here on Trump Mania. Also, get out there on Amazon and go look for the new book, Trump Mania. Election Edition 2020. Now, folks, thank you for joining us this week and every week. We'll see you next week right here talking about Donald Trump becoming the owner of Raw on Trump Mania. See you next week. Money, 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 money. money.